morning. It's a real joy and privilege to be here. Um, it's been wonderful getting to know Mark over this past year or so as he's taken the ferry the other way over to Bridgeport and then drives to New Haven um, to meet with us as we as we gather monthly to encourage each other and strengthen the process of church planting in the area. Um, Mark probably doesn't realize this at all, but um, his presence there has this disproportionately encouraging um, aspect to it. And the reason for that is because our church planters, we have uh, a church being planted in the inner city of New Haven, one in Suffield, Connecticut, one in Wallingford, Connecticut, one in Fairfield, Connecticut, one in Milford, Connecticut, and they're all in the early stages. And the biggest one of all those I just named is about 40 people. That's the biggest one of all the ones I've just named. And um, it's just it's so helpful. And again, Mark might not even realize this, but just his presence there, it, it helps the other pastors see if, if the Lord is in the work, if he's building a good work, um, they can see what it can look like. As Mark talks about the health of this church in our circles. And I mean, I'm just, if, if I could have any of our churches be where you all are after just 13 years in, in this place. Yes, remarkable building and setting and resources and self-sustaining and praying for church planting and helping to get church planting a particular church going in Stony Brook, Lord willing. But it's the, it's, it's the people of God here that Mark talks about the most. And I, I long for this sort of thing. And our church planners, just Mark's presence there is just this reminder. Yes, the Lord is moving us forward. We're going to be okay. He is building a good work in each of these towns. Um, so, uh, you could start asking for a fee to come and we would probably pay it. Just, just, just your mere presence. Um, <laughs> cover the ferry costs. And I did notice, by the way, um, it's cool you have out in your foyer the monthly magazine of our denomination. And our mission Anabino is featured on page 14. So there's an article about, about our church planting network in the early pages of, of this monthly magazine. Um, very briefly, the word Anabino, mission Anabino, is the Greek word that Jesus says to Mary after his resurrection, where he says to her, I am ascending, Anabino, I am ascending. And so it's mission, your theology, that what gives you such confidence for your, for your worship here throughout the week and then church planting is that you know you actually have an ascended Christ. He hasn't disappeared to the other side of the universe. Um, he hasn't descended into the depths of hell and stayed there. He is resurrected and now ascended. So mission Anabino. So feel free to read about that in the um, uh, denominational magazine. Now, here's the thing. If you remember nothing else from my having been here today, um, it, I, sure, I would love it for you to remember mission Anabino, but no. I want you to remember the gift that God gives you in the scriptures. But in particular... I have been profoundly changed and moved by this one chapter in particular, Job chapter 28. That's what our sermon text is on today. 
I'm so thankful that you are included in your bulletin because you'll each, each have a printout and you feel free to mark it up and go home and use different colored magic markers and just underline and circle and make that text your own. So let me tell you why I believe Job 28 is this most profound gift, a particular chapter that's like a diamond that is a resource for you for the rest of your life. If you've come across it already in your Christian life, you you may or may not have noticed its deep significance. Um, so this, that's the takeaway from today, is that you would know that Job 28 is this particular diamond that is a resource for you for the rest of your life. Now let me explain that just a little bit, and then we will actually read it. Um, if you know the book of Job, it's thousands of years old, and it captures the story in the life of a man named Job who was a righteous man who loved God, served God, gave his life for God, um, was prosperous, had a big, happy family. And there is a spiritual enemy in this world, the devil, Satan. In fact, that's where we first learned his name. The Hebrew word Satan appears there in the book of Job, and it means the accuser. There is evil in this reality, this evil being, and he despises the idea of a human being worshiping the Creator. He cannot conceive of it. He who was once created an upright angel, Satan, fallen into evil, cannot even conceive of genuine gratitude flowing from the heart, genuine worship flowing from the heart. And so, once he learns about Job, he says to God, sure, he's the, the one that worships you, but that's because you've given him everything. Take away what you've given him and he will stop worshiping you. He will curse you. And that becomes then the drama of the whole story of the book of Job. And if you know the book of Job, it then be it becomes this remarkable series of dialogues between Job and his friends, culminating with a final dialogue between Job and the Lord himself. But what we have in Job chapter 28 is this remarkable intrusion, insertion of wisdom that whoever the author of the book of Job was, and he doesn't give us his name, his or her name for that matter, he doesn't, we don't know the name of the author, the author appears at the beginning of the book of Job to give us the prologue, to explain the setting and the circumstances, appears at the end to wrap everything up, and then everything else in between is dialogue between Job and his friends and Job and the Lord, except for, you guessed it, Job 28. In the middle of the book, the author reappears to insert this chapter, this poem. It's a profoundly beautiful poem, as I hope you'll catch as we read it in just a moment. And it's more profound in the Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew well enough to read it out loud and wouldn't help you probably if I did that. This profoundly beautiful poem, beautiful in the English, even more beautiful in the Hebrew. The author puts it right in the middle of the book of Job. Because what he does by that is he has some, he, by Job 28, we'll see he's summing up everything about the dialogue in the first half of the book and giving a foreshadowing about all the dialogue in the second half of the book. 
And I know I'm going on just a bit, but one other little important tidbit is when Job is, uh, all the suffering happens to him and he loses his whole family and he's sitting in the dust and he's covered with boils and three friends appear. And the dialogue with them is the first half of the book. But at the very end, when God speaks, he rebukes those three friends. Their way of talking with Job was not wise. But a fourth friend shows up, and he doesn't start speaking until after Job 28. And at the very end of the book, the Lord does not rebuke Elihu. The fourth friend is not rebuked. And so we see that Job 28, by being in the middle of the book, says, I am summing up the first half of the book is folly. The, the, the so-called wisdom that was attempting to be given to Job is folly. But the second half of the book, there will be an Elihu, a John the Baptist sort, who prepares the way for the true wisdom that comes at the end when God speaks. All right, so hopefully that's enough of a setup so that you can understand this beautiful poem. Job chapter 28, let me read this for us now, and then we'll pray for the Lord to enlighten all this, and then uh, five points through the sermon. Job chapter 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sacrifice, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden, have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. And the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth. And it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold. And silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, We have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. 
For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Please pray with me now as this powerful passage of Scripture is now applied to our lives and our hearts. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, for this gift of Job 28. And as we've already sung in all of our worship songs, it is certainly not giving away the punchline of the sermon. We know where wisdom is found. And so we praise you and thank you, not only for this gift of Job chapter 28, but most wonderfully, we praise you for the gift of Jesus Christ, who is wisdom. Deepen our love for and search for and reception of the beauty of Christ who is wisdom in our hearts, in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This profound gift of Job chapter 28, it's like a diamond. And we want to look at it now. There's five simple points we'd like to make this morning as we look at the beauty of this chapter and what it has for us. Here's the, the first thing to think through, is this whole idea of searching. This chapter is about the the energy given, the, the lengths that people will go to, to search for and find gold and silver and pearls, all the energy being used in these sort of pre-technology days from thousands of years ago when Job was written, where they are able to dig down deep without like power drills and things, dig down deep through rock. I mean, how... That just imagine the sheer energy required to get down to where the gold and silver could be found and then to, to dam up streams and rivers so that it could expose whatever gold might be in the, the, the energy being, uh, um, exerted to search for that which is valuable. So. This chapter is stating a universal truth, and that's simply our first point, is that people are constantly searching. We human beings are created so that we are 24-7, and, and by the way, that's true, even when you are asleep, your mind is still working. You don't, might not remember what you're dreaming, but so 24-7, people are searching, searching, but for what? That's, that's the question. That's what Job 28 is putting right in front of us. Well, I'm not the deepest of thinkers, and so when the word search comes into my purview, one of my first thoughts is Google search. Google search. And so, just out of curiosity, I decided to see what, what are people searching for on Google. And now that 2018 is concluded, 
Um, and you can Google this for yourself, but the top Google searches of 2018, there's the, the things, the top things that people Googled for how to and then blank. Number one was how to vote, how to, how to register to vote. Number two was how to play mega millions. Number three was how to buy Ripple. Who knows what Ripple is? I had to Google Ripple to even know Ripple is an alternative to Bitcoin. Um, so, so th those are the top three things of the how-tos. How to vote, register, how to play mega millions, how to buy Ripple. Um, but more generically, in terms of just the, the, what was typed into the Google search, the top search terms, the top five in this country last year were number one, World Cup. People wanted information about the largest sporting event in the world. Number two, Hurricane Florence. People wanted information about a devastating hurricane that hit the southeast. Number three, Mac Miller, who I hadn't heard of until it was in the news that he was a rapper who had taken his own life. Number four, Kate Spade, a designer who had taken her own life. And number five, Anthony Bourdain, a chef and world traveler who had taken his own life. Did, did you catch in Job 28, and we're going to emphasize this, hopefully you'll I'll return to this simple observation, but Job 28 says that when we're talking about wisdom, it cannot be found in the land of the living. It can only be found from God himself. The book of Ecclesiastes, a parallel wisdom book, uses the description of under the sun all is vanity. But above the sun, where the creator is. And so in Job 28, you saw, hopefully you saw that, that, that the land of the living, wisdom cannot be found. But then there was this one little hint. Before it got to this, to the, to the punchline of God is the source of wisdom. It had said, we cannot find it in the land of the living. But before it got to the punchline, there was that little hint in verse 22. You can get a rumor of wisdom in this life. And who whispers that rumor to? Abaddon and death. I just found that fascinating. The top Google searches were for about the lives of people who, for one reason or another, had taken their own life. And the human heart is searching for some sign, some wisdom that maybe death can whisper to us where wisdom is found. So people are searching, but, but for what? And of course, it's coming to our hearts. What are we searching for? What are we searching for? Um, my mom put a refrigerator magnet in my stocking for Christmas this year. And the magnet said, um, Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. <laughs> Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. So even on a refrigerator magnet, there's this awareness, this distinction. People, we know that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And that's essentially what Job 28 is saying. There is, you can do all this to attain 
the wisdom of this world to attain gold and silver. But there's a difference between that, those forms of knowledge and true wisdom. And so what are we searching for? Now, I must say, this is important to not misunderstand, I, especially like as a parent of children uh, where there's lots of tuition money that I'm paying for their education. Um, we are not to read Job 28 as in any way disparaging the pursuit of the knowledge that we need in this world. In fact, that, that this chapter is not saying that. What it's saying, it's not saying, look at the efforts people go to to get gold and silver. What idiots. It's not saying that. It's saying, look at the efforts that people will go to when they know it's something valuable. And in this life, we need more knowledge to eradicate disease so that there can be functional ferries that go from Bridgeport to Port you know, Jefferson. And we need you all and all of us to keep in, in this next year and in, in the rest of our lives, keep pursuing knowledge, real knowledge of God's world. Keep doing that. Use your energy to that. And Job 28 is saying, people will do that. But here's the deeper question. But do you count wisdom? as valuable as well, and even more so. And so it's not much of an argument if the Lord were to say, um, I want you to exert no effort in school. Don't learn anything. And now when you pursue wisdom, just make sure that you're giving it just a little bit more effort than the non-effort you gave in school, and I'm satisfied. Just pursue wisdom a little bit more than zero, and I'm satisfied. No, no, this chapter is saying pursue knowledge with all your heart and all your energy, but pursue wisdom even more. So that's our first point. And now we come to the second point. And again, it's it's just a beautiful thing I, I to, to for there to be a full-orbed worship service like you all experience every week. We've already learned through the worship songs, through our prayers, this second point, that Christ is our wisdom. We've already sung it out loud. We've already preached that good news to ourselves by singing. We've already said, in you alone my soul is satisfied. We've said that this morning, and that's our second point, is that this passage is like all the rest of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures is pointing towards Jesus. And even though that's true in a general way of everything from Genesis to Malachi, it really is. It's specifically and precisely true of this notion of wisdom because the New Testament explicitly names Christ as wisdom. So just listen a little bit to, to, to a little bit of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as the Corinthians were wrestling with what's real wisdom, the, the wisdom of the world or the wisdom from God and and Paul says to them, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And then he goes on to say, and God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God made Christ our wisdom our righteousness, our sanctification. And so in this search for wisdom, in Job 28, we are being pointed to its fulfillment, that we find wisdom in a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. We find wisdom not so much in the same manner in which we find knowledge by reading certain textbooks and learning from professors and mentors and best practices, but finding wisdom is by finding this person. God the Son, Jesus Christ, whom God the Father made wisdom for us. So that's our second simple point is the power of Job 28 to point us towards Christ as our wisdom. Now, I personally find this Job 28 is such a gift for me when I'm muddling around in my foolishness or my self-loathing or my anxiety or my worry or whatever, if someone were to very kindly take me right to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ is your wisdom. Christ is your redemption. That might work. It's It, it ought to work if I were a better person. <laughs> um, but in the same way in which I, we see colors more vividly out of our peripheral vision, the way the eye is designed, than like straight ahead. Sometimes what gets my heart much more effectively is Job 28, a chapter that doesn't mention Christ directly, but engages me so that it leads me to Christ. And if you just show me the beauty of Christ straight on, sometimes I just, but if you hint at it, and engage my heart as Job chapter 28 does, then I'm led to this person of Jesus. That's just me, but I think it's also something of the way God works with all of us. So that's why Job 28 is just as much of a gift as these straight-on passages of 1 Corinthians 1 about Jesus is our righteousness, our wisdom. Now here's the thing. I tried to give voice to it a little bit, but now the third point is, is fleshing it out a bit more that there really is this inner resistance to wisdom. There's this inner resistance to God himself that is present in our hearts. If you were able to get here early enough, you might have read the meditation on the front of the bulletin. It's an excerpt from Walker Percy's National Book Award winning novel, The Moviegoer. And in that meditation, he talks about He's engaging in the search. The search is what anyone would do if we weren't sunk in our everydayness. Sunk down in just our everydayness. What we would do is we would live searching. And then he, and then he writes in his novel a sort of way, but for what? For God, you ask with a smile. And he goes on to say, and he's, 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 he's speaking to this idea that there's so much complacency and self-satisfaction and folks who are just just numb and settled into their everydayness and are no longer searching for truth and reality and for beauty and for God himself. And so you can read that, but what's, what's interesting is this is an ongoing theme in Percy's novels. And so in his second novel, it's called The Last Gentleman, he has this one particular scene that talks about this a bit more. And in this scene, there is a young man who is has a terminal illness and he's dying. He's in, in the hospital on his deathbed. And his older sister, whose devotion to Christ and the church and the poor had taken her away from him for several years, 
has now traveled back to be with her younger brother as he's dying. And she has this conversation with him on his deathbed. And she talks to him about the glories of Christ and that he need not fear his death because Christ was raised from the dead and will give to him a resurrection body as well as he puts his faith in Christ. And this is the content of her conversation with her younger brother. But after that conversation, she's now recounting what happened to the main character. His name is Will Barrett. And this is what she says. It is curious, Mr. Barrett, but what I told my brother was absolutely the last thing on earth he would listen to. It was not simply one of a great number of things he might have listened to more or less indifferently. No, it was, of all things, absolutely the last thing. Doesn't that strike you as strange? And it's that question right there. Doesn't that strike you as strange? That reminds us that there's this inner resistance that's hard to explain apart from the Scripture's teaching of the fall into sin. Now there's evil externally in this person of Satan, Satan, but also internal, an internal resistance. Listen to what Pascal said. He doesn't so much hint at it as Walker Percy does. But the French philosopher and mathematician, Blaise Pascal, he puts it this way. When we wish to think of God, is there not something which immediately distracts us and tempts us to think of something else? All this is evil and innate in us. Now, I don't know about you, I actually find that to be weirdly good news. Weirdly good news. Because now I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> and now I know that the problem is so deep. And I'm, I'm incapable of solving that problem of my own innate resistance to God. That really the only solution must be Christ. And the atoning sacrifice and the promise of securing true forgiveness of sins, even for that inner resistance is all forgiven. So I like being told <laughs> about just how innate my resistance to God is. It makes me feel less insane, or rather, as insane as the fall really does make us. So there's this inner resistance. And Job 28 puts it very straightforwardly there in verse 13, where it just says, man does not know where wisdom. Man resists Wisdom, And if again, if you're not seeing that, and sometimes I'm not either as clearly hinted at there in Job 28, it's said explicitly for us in, in the book of Romans, in the New Testament, when in Romans chapter 3, it just says, if you didn't get the hint from Job 28 that man does not seek wisdom, I will state it explicitly in, jo in Romans chapter 3, no one seeks for God. That's what it says right there in Romans chapter 3. No, there's this inner resistance. There's something wrong with us where we don't seek for God. We use all our energies for everything else. But that leads us, of course, to our fourth point, which is if Christ truly is our wisdom 
And he is. And if we found him, which if you're part of this church, you have. And if you are part of this church but haven't yet joined this church, haven't yet professed your faith in Christ, you are on your way. This is why God has you here. There's no accidents. God established this church for you so that you would be drawn in to Christ, your wisdom. So those who've found Christ, who is our wisdom, now we hear Christ say to us, the scripture that was read for us earlier from Luke chapter 7, we hear Christ say to us, seek. Knock, seek, ask. Seek for God. Your Christian life is to be a life of constantly seeking. Once we find Christ, we hunger for more of him. There's that marvelous phrase in the Narnia tales where Aslan welcomes the, the, all the people of, of the Narnian kingdom into the new heavens, the new earth, the new Narnia. And then he says, further up and further in. Just engage with me for just one second in my weird sort of parallel universe. But if, if you have met a Jesus who says to you, the amount of goodness and truth and beauty that I have given to you up till now in your life, the amount of knowledge of me that I have given to you up till now in your life is it. There's no more. You have met a false Jesus, a counterfeit Jesus. Christ, who is our wisdom, once we meet him, is the Christ that says, keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking and knocking and asking. And so our Christian life becomes this one of this constant search. Not so much out of anxiety anymore, but out of hunger and thirst. Because every step of this new year for you is going to be a step you've never taken before. And some of us, maybe all of us, will, will I think all of us, will face challenges we've never faced before. And so is Christ our resource for true wisdom? Or are we like his three friends, Job's three friends at the beginning of the book? I've got all the wisdom I need, and I'm going to share it with you, Job. No, the Christian life is this life where we are putting to death that inner resistance to wisdom by seeking Christ regularly. This is the beautiful habit you all are doing by coming out here in the rain, by making this the rhythm of your life, a weekly worship service, and by attracting others into this. You are by definition on the search. You're seeking for more of Christ every single week. That's what a church does. That's what this church does. Something so beautiful about that. And now here's the final point. Is as we are seeking this, this more of Christ, more of goodness and truth of beauty, more of actual wisdom so that we know how to live in this complicated world. As we're seeking for Christ, he reminds us where he can be found. And so there's no real mystery. You're not going to hear the secret to where to find Christ this morning that you've never heard before. You're going to hear right now what I'm about to say. Where can Christ be found? He is found in his word and in his church. We know this to be the case. We know that Job 28 is a particular gift to us that's different than all the wisdom in the world, all the poetry of the world, because it's from God. Circling back to something I said earlier, we, we 
catch in the book in chapter 28 the distinction between what we can learn from what the created order says. Verse 14, the deep speaks out loud. The sea speaks out loud. And so we know that there's this wonderful truth that everything that God has created reveals him and speaks. And we call that general revelation. But the created order cannot reveal special revelation. It can reveal common grace, but it cannot reveal saving grace. To know Christ personally, you must find him in his word. 24-7 here in beautiful Long Island, God speaks to every one of your neighbors and to you yourself about the, his beauty, his goodness and truth by the nature of creation and all the things you see. But he only speaks his saving word about how one can be reconciled to God through Christ in his word and in his church. So where can Jesus be found here on Long Island? In general revelation, everywhere. But in his saving presence, only in his church. His church gathered on Sundays, his church scattered. And whenever you meet for your other events, and when two of you are gathered, you're gathered in his name, and Christ can be found in his saving presence. Do you see why you are so needed here? Long Island doesn't need you to speak more about God's common grace. I mean, do that. Just speak about how God is great. But Long Island has no other sources of the saving knowledge of Christ apart from his true churches. And there aren't as many of them up here or in Connecticut where I am as where I ministered before in North Carolina. My little town of 70,000 had eight PCA churches. That's just PCA. And there were plenty of other gospel-believing churches. Well, we are so needed up here in the Northeast. Just by being the church, you are communicating the presence of Jesus in profound ways that nothing else can do. And so as you seek this God, you are finding him where he has always said he can be found, in his word and in his church. And when we find him, we find true forgiveness of sins. We find all grace. We find all truth. And so we always delight now to engage our hearts and our souls even as we engage our bodies with the Lord's Supper. You have to engage your body to take the Lord's Supper. It's not going to just be force-fed to you. And that's a reminder. Engage in the search and the hunger for Christ. Engage your soul. Well, what a delight to be here this morning. It's a delight to be in partnership in Mission Anabina with the church planting that you all are up to. And it's wonderful for us to remember that together. But most of all, we remember the gift that God gives us of this particular chapter and then the Christ that we find in his word, in this chapter. Heavenly Father, you feed us so richly and in so many ways, our lives are like Job's, and we're caught in the middle, and we get unhelpful advice from some, 
and we're led with hunger to you in other aspects of our lives, we are so thankful that you know we are but dust. You are well acquainted with us and the challenges that you put before us. How we thank you, O Lord, that you have banded us together as a pilgrim people so that we are not on this pilgrimage alone. You have given us your church, not just as this profound gift of friendship and support, but as this even more profound gift of your very saving presence. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.